minus 15. Respect all, fear none. Into the upper deck. Intensity is not a perfume. Hello, Utah Street. Five, four, three, two, one. From inside the warehouse at Oriole Park at Camden Yards, it is the Masson All Access Podcast. Paul Mancano and Brendan Mortensen back in person here with you, Brendan, after uh, I came back from Ireland, a trip in Ireland, and uh, you picked me up from the airport at a late hour last night. I, I had a seven-hour layover in JFK Airport, got my coffee here, so any time I slip up during this podcast, it can be attributed to jet lag. Sure. Yeah, I mean, we can attribute it to that and not other things, but that, that that's totally fine. Yeah, I'm, I think you brought up a good point, which is uh, when you picked me up and I started talking about my trip, uh, is that I'm going to turn into that kid in college that went abroad for one semester and then comes yes. back and just thinks that... Abroad changed them, Paul. Uh, yes. I mean, they, they really discovered themselves. Right. Um, you know, and it's going to be tough. Anytime I sit down and I have a beer, I'm going to just say, mm, you know... T- I, Dublin just ruined beer for me. I just can't drink beer anymore. It's just Dublin like, ruined it. Once you go to Ireland, then you'll know. Then yeah. you'll have like an idea of what I'm talking about. But uh, it's just so different over I there. Am, I'm looking forward to this new dynamic. The people are just so different. Really opened up my eyes, you know. Yeah. So any during this podcast, I'll be dropping from Ireland references. But I, I, I just I just hope you don't bring back the accent. I was from say, last week. I think I think I might. Oh, I heard goodness. producer Amy Jennings was producer too, Amy Jennings was texted me mid podcast. I thought something was wrong and she just texted me and said, when is he going to stop doing this? And I said, not soon enough, Amy. And not soon enough. I noticed the YouTube version. If you're not watching on YouTube, by the way, our podcasts all go live on YouTube and on Facebook. And I noticed the YouTube version, you know, you started the stream a little bit late and I think it was coincidental that you started the stream after I dropped my accent. Oh, it wasn't coincidental. It was completely okay. intentional. Okay. Well, yeah. you know, it got some good work in. And so, uh, uh, well. you know, the best part in Ireland was uh, we were flying back at like 9.45 in the morning and people were just dying to have their last Guinness in Ireland before they hopped on the plane. Just chugging a full pint right before they hopped on a plane. As they should. At 9.45 in the morning. Yeah. Honestly, More power to them. Respect. Mad yeah. respect. Um, what did I miss, Brendan, while I was gone in the States here? Uh, some very exciting Orioles news, Paul. <laughs> I mean, that is... It, all anybody has been able to talk about is, is the news surrounding the Baltimore Orioles. Good. Well, that's that's what we're going to talk about. I hope so. The, you yeah. know, Logan Gillespie's not going to talk about himself. Right. He, he might. He might. But not, not on a podcast. Yeah. Um, all right. We are going to get into the vast number of roster moves that the Orioles have made over the past week. The additions, surprising and not so surprising that they made to their 40-man roster. They picked up somebody off a waiver claim. Uh, Pedro Severino has found a new home. We're going to be talking about that. Um, and then we're going to close out our show, Brendan, by teasing a little segment that we're going to have next week, a create a trade game. And if you're watching here, we have a jar full of uh, paper slips, and we'll explain what that is near the end of our podcast today. Yeah. And uh, let's start uh, Let's start by looking at back at last week, Brendan, in that episode where I had... Uh, you know, uh, uh, I was doing the accent for quite a while. I dropped, uh, I, I was just going off on tangents. I mean, that episode went a good over an hour, mostly yeah. just because of my rambling yeah. as I'm doing now. And I just want to correct myself because one of our commenters, shout out to L-S-M-F-T-Y-M-F. Oh yeah, listen. listen. <laughs> I know him. One of our commenters brought up, I, I br- talked about the College of Coaches uh, which I said was attributed to the Dodgers. It was actually the Cubs organization that had the College of Coaches, which was an unorthodox practice employed by owner P.K. Wrigley in 1961. It was an eight-man committee instead of having one manager. So that's the last time a team has really messed with the idea of having just a singular manager in the, in the uh, dugout and gone with an eight-man committee. The Orioles are not doing that by having two hitting coaches. How did we get to that topic? Scholars may never know. <laughs> P.K. Ridley. We, Ridley we has may never no know. Idea. Um, also, a quick follow-up on our last conversation. We talked about the youth of these two hitting coaches yeah. in Borg Schulte and Ryan Fuller that the Orioles hired at both being 31 years old and not having any experience coaching at the major league level. 
And uh, the Padres have outdone the Orioles, going four years younger than 31 and only hiring one 27-year-old pitching coach, or hitting coach, rather. Yeah, well, I mean, he, was, he was friends with Sean McVay, so that's probably why <laughs> he got that job. That's a good reference. Yeah. If you had coffee with Sean McVay, you can get a job in baseball or football. Anywhere. 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 Um, honestly, that's. can you imagine the hot takes we would see if the Orioles had hired a 27-year-old? Oh, scorching. Yeah. Absolutely scorching. Also, just makes you realize, what have, you know, what have I done with my life that a 27-year-old is already a hitting coach for a Major League Baseball team, one that has Fernando Tatis and Manny Machado. I mean, that's a big job. And uh, 27, no big deal. No big deal. Um, All right, let's get quickly to the news that broke a couple days ago. Pedro Severino. The Orioles, after the flurry of moves that they made, they got the roster up to 39, and yet of those 39 players on their roster, it includes zero Zero catchers. Not a one. Not a one. Pedro Severino uh, was removed from the 40-man roster a couple weeks ago, and Brendan, it seems like he's found a new home here. He has. Signs a one-year, $1.9 million deal with the Brewers. You and I had speculated that Pedro Severino might come back to Baltimore on either a cheap major league deal or a minor league deal. I don't think either of us really expected Severino to find another major league home. Because, well, he just, quite frankly, hasn't been all that good throughout his career. He is still younger. He's going to be 28 this season. So maybe you saw enough flashes to think that he can do something for you. He's going to be in a committee in Milwaukee with Omar Narvaez. But he is seemingly the replacement for Manny Pena. So the Brewers go from one of the better defensive catchers in the league in Pena to Severino, who has led the American League in pass balls each of the last two seasons. I don't think it's ridiculous, though, to hand him a major league deal if you're another franchise. I don't think so, no. But because, I mean, it's, it's still a little surprising. What I will say is he's one of the better hitting catchers in the American League, which is not a very high <laughs> bar. The bar to, is on the floor. Yeah the, yeah, the bar is not very high. However, you do have to have 30 catchers starting in Major League Baseball. Right. Plus... You know, it's obviously a position that you usually split amongst two guys. So, you know, a catcher who is hitting 248 with a 690 uh, OPS is not, you know, those numbers are not going to blow anybody away. However, for catchers, that's pretty good to above average in the American League. Yeah, it's slightly above average to the pretty good range, but defensively, he is probably one of the worst catchers in the American League, if not in baseball. So I don't know if the offensive production really makes up for his defense. And that's why we're seeing him go to a seemingly catcher committee rather than getting a job somewhere as an everyday starter. Right. Um, and that, of course, that deal being reported by Jeff Passan of ESPN, up to $400,000 in incentives in that deal. And you mentioned Manny Pena. And because he was in our free agency bracket a couple of weeks ago, Orioles could just swap catchers with the Brewers if they really wanted to by signing Manny Pena, who's going to be uh, a free agent this winter. And he, his offensive numbers were not nearly as, as uh, high as Pedro Severino. Pena hit just 189 higher OPS, 732 OPS and 13 homers. Uh, But the war was higher because he is a better, slightly better, I think, defensive catcher. Yeah, he is. He's better defensively. And Manny Pena also probably costs you more than one point nine million dollars. So if you're the Brewers and you just need a second catcher in kind of a committee situation, you probably opt for the cheaper option. And that's what they do with Severino. Yeah, we did have Manny Pena losing, I think, in the we did in the first round. He was the sixth seed. No, he was. Yes, maybe. I think he was the sixth seed. (laughs) Well, he lost anyway. He lost. It didn't didn't much matter. But if the Orioles really wanted to, they could make an offer. Yeah. Um, So the Orioles will definitely have a new catcher on opening day for next year um, as they reshape that position entirely. Who knows? Maybe Austin Wins will be back. But for right now, their starting catcher is out the door as they wait for Adley Rutschman to make his debut. The Orioles made a waiver claim as... Friday was the deadline to add guys to the 40-man roster, and before they added their six guys, they added somebody from outside the organization. Uh, That would be Lucius Fox, 24-year-old from the Royals. Get your Batman jokes in now, of course, because Lucius Fox is the name of a, uh, you know, Batman character. It's the Morgan Freeman part in uh, in Dark Knight. Uh, But, Brendan, what what does Lucius Fox, the baseball player, 
bring to the Baltimore Orioles. Yeah, it reminds me a lot of the Orioles claiming Jorge Mateo, right? It is a fantastic athlete who can play second base shortstop and pretty much anywhere in the outfield, who was a former top prospect in multiple organizations and has yet to pan out in any significant way at the major league level. Jorge Mateo was given more opportunities at the major league level. Lucius Fox is yet to make his MLB debut, but it just feels similar where it's two players that were incredibly toolsy and were at one point seen as guys with huge potential and they just haven't really lived up to it yet. And in Baltimore, they have the opportunity to see if that potential is still there. If it is, great. You got a former top prospect who is now kind of blossoming into the player that many teams hoped he would be. And if not, it's very low risk because you are not giving up a, a lot of money to get this guy, and you're also not blocking anybody either. I mean, you can play Fox for a year. You can play Mateo for a year, and if they don't prove to be an infielder or just piece in general of the future, then no harm, no foul. Right. You mentioned that pedigree he had of being a top prospect. He reached as high as number four in the Giants system after he was signed in 2015 to then a club record $6 million from the Bahamas. Uh, he ended up reaching as high as number seven in the Rays system after he was dealt over to Tampa Bay. So he has been considered one of the better prospects in this, the respective systems that he has been in. And 24 years old, that's still, I think, two years younger now than Jorge Mateo. Mateo, I think, is going to be playing in his age 26 season next year. Um, and that versatility, in addition to being a speedster, you know, in addition to stealing 19 bases in 57 games in AAA last year, uh, he can play short, he can play second, he can play third, he can play center. He's played all four all four of those positions in his five minor league se- uh, seasons, though he is mostly viewed as a middle infielder because of that speed. Yeah, I think he probably profiles best at the second base shortstop mold, kind of similar to Mateo. And I think this is an interesting move as well because over the last few years, the Orioles have not been filled with a lot of good athletes. I mean, last year you pretty much just had Cedric Mullins for a while, who was your best athlete on the team and Austin Hayes, if he could stay healthy outside of those two, you didn't really have any base stealing threats. And now all of a sudden, when you look at the team going into 2022, if Fox is on the major league roster, he would join Jorge Mateo, Jemai Jones. That is three fantastic athletes that you did not have a year or two ago that are now going to be threats on this Orioles team, whether they get significant playing time or not, maybe they work more as utility guys, but you are adding a lot of good athletes to this team. Yeah. The Orioles teams that won the most games in the American league over a five year stretch were always built on their power, never built on their speed. In fact, they set records for power and they set Futility records for the lack of stolen bases during that time frame. Pretty much Manny Machado and Jonathan Scope were the only guys stealing bases for a long time. So you have Cedric Mullins, who is obviously an outstanding base runner. You mentioned Jorge Mateo. You mentioned Jemai Jones as speedsters. Ryan McKenna, if he gets more playing time next season, definitely has the potential to steal bags. He stole 25 bases in the minor leagues two years ago. Adam Hall, who we'll get to, is one of the speedsters in their system. So they do have some young guys coming up who can add that kind of dimension. Even though stolen bases are being de-emphasized and devalued in baseball, when you're young, you're a young team like the Orioles, it's nice to be young and athletic, not just young. Um, And you hope that that athleticism can mold itself into a quality player. Yeah, and the athleticism can translate to a lot more places than just the stolen bases. I think we saw it a lot with Ryan McKenna last year where he wasn't necessarily stealing bases, but if McKenna was on third, he was a threat to score. And McKenna in the corner outfield, just like Austin Hayes, shifting those guys away from center field, having really good athletes in the corner outfield, especially when your pitchers might be giving up some hard hit balls, having speed in the corner outfields turned out to be huge defensively for the Orioles last year. I mean, we saw how good Austin Hayes was, and I think Ryan McKenna has that same potential in a corner outfield as well. So if you're not going to have a ton of power hitters in the lineup, like the Orioles don't really right now, they've got Trey Mancini and Ryan Mountcastle, and I suppose Cedric Mullins, if you want to call him a power hitter, I guess you have to now. 
but you've got to kind of win on the margins. You have to take your extra bases where you can get them. And having good athletes that are threats on the base paths is going to help a lot with that. Yeah, I think back to the game, I think it was in July at Camden Yards against the Nationals where McKenna scored the game-winning run yeah. on like a dribbler in the infield. Exactly. And he came home and there was no chance to throw him out at the plate. So right. that that is definitely nice. In terms of what Lucius Fox means for this infield, he can seem a little redundant with Jorge Mateo, but also I view this similarly to how I view the Yolmer Sanchez signing, uh, waiver claim, excuse me, a year ago where he's added early in the offseason and he may not even make it to opening day. You know, if the Orioles decide that they would rather use that roster spot on somebody else, we may never get to see Lucius Fox in an Orioles uniform. I think his chances are a little bit better of sticking with this team for, you know, through spring training and making the opening day roster. However, this is not obviously a huge commitment that they're making here. And if the Orioles view a infield upgrade in free agency as suitable for their team, I think that they could just drop Lucius Fox and, and sign a Marwin Gonzalez, you know, sign uh, somebody who they think could be more productive and just get rid of Lucius Fox if they really wanted to. That's true, but I think Lucius Fox also gives you something very different than what a free agent would give you. I mean, Lucius Fox, as you see his numbers there, he had a 709 OPS in AAA, and the speed is very good, and you know, just kind of assuming based on the kind of athlete he is, the defense is probably pretty good as well, and he can play a bunch of different positions. So I think you have a possibility of if you're looking at potential infielders that you could sign in free agency, Lucius Fox might just present to you a younger option with more potential. Right. So maybe you opt for a Lucius Fox rather than a, you know, Jonathan VR where, you know, he's not going to play. He's going to play. Okay. But you know what his ceiling is. You know what he's going to give you. And he gives you less versatility than somebody like a 24-year-old Fox does. Oh, yeah, I think it just depends on what you want there. Because right. they already have Mateo who kind of fits that bill. So do you want to sign somebody like a VR who's meant more as a trade piece? Yeah. Than, you know, so while I, I don't think Lucius Fox is going to be you know a trade piece, he's a developmental piece similar to Jorge Mateo. So maybe you want to mix it up. You want to go with one trade piece, one... Um, one developmental piece. Right. It's, it's all depending on what they want to do. Yeah, and it's also important to keep in mind with this signing as well that, yes, he does look like an intriguing piece with good speed and good tools, but he was also in a situation in Kansas City where, similar to Baltimore, if Lucius Fox was banging down the door at the Major League level, Kansas City presents a pretty good opportunity right. to play. So, for whatever reason... Kansas City decided that Lucius Fox was not good enough to break the mold at the major league level, and it's not like the Royals are really competing at this point. Right. So a non-competitive team not really giving Lucius Fox a chance at the major league level, Dif you don't know what's going on. Different from Mateo, who right. was with the Padres, and everybody said he just needs to be on a less competitive team so that he can get the playing time as opposed to... Right. Padres, every one of those games matters when they're trying to win a, a competitive NL West. Right. So if he was going to get a chance, Baltimore presents a good opportunity for that chance. Yeah. But so did Kansas City. Exactly. All right. Let's talk about the uh, the roster protections that were made, Brendan. For the third straight year, the Orioles add six guys on the deadline day as they look to protect guys from the Rule 5 draft. And the obvious ones were added. D.L. Hall, Kevin Smith, Kyle Bradish, Taryn Vavra. We said those four were definitely going to be added. And then we have the slightly surprising Felix Bautista, although I will give myself credit uh, to my own horn here, Brendan, for predicting that Bautista would be added to the, the 40 Hey, I roster. did too. At, in my tweet. I didn't in, in the your podcast. Tweet, you, you amended it. Yeah, I did. Yeah. Uh, still counts. It's on, it's on the record. And then the biggest surprise by far, a guy whose name we did not even mention on our last podcast, Logan Gillespie, right-handed pitcher who's 24 years old. Let's talk about who this guy is because we had we gave you no information on him whatsoever a week ago. Uh, he's 24 years old, joined this organization in June after he signed a minor league deal after he was released by the Brewers, and he's basically been... A, a reliever for the Orioles was effective as a reliever and a starter for Milwaukee between their single A affiliate in 2019 and then this year with the Orioles in double A. However, the numbers are not 
ridiculously good. And the fact that he did not reach AAA this year made this quite surprising, Brendan. Yeah, I think if there was going to be a bullpen arm with high strikeout numbers that the Orioles were going to protect in a surprising fashion, I think a lot of people thought it was probably going to be Nick Vespi, who was a left-handed reliever who was flashing in the fall league and had fantastic strikeout numbers. And Vespi seemed to fall into the category of pitcher where if you got the command under control a little bit, the strikeout numbers are so good and the stuff is so good that he might be protected. I think Nick Vespi probably has a chance to get picked by another team because the stuff has flashed and because the strikeout numbers are so good. But I think Gillespie falls under that same category as I would put Vespi and Felix Bautista as well, where the stuff is so good and the potential is there that if you can get the commands under control a little bit, you have to keep him. And that's what Justin Ramsey, the pitching coach for AA Bowie said, said, quote, it's one of those arms where if he can hone in on his command of the zone, you can't let that go and have a chance of him catching on somewhere else. Yeah. Uh, those 11.2 Ks per nine in 14 and a third innings in Aberdeen this year, a 3.77 ERA. Um, he did, when he went up to Bowie, I think uh, that ERA jumped a little bit. And in those 14 innings down in the Arizona Fall League, he did give up 14, 14 runs, despite yeah. the fact that he struck out 18. So similar to Bautista in that he's has incredible strikeout stuff, but he's given up a lot of runs here. I yeah. mean, Bautista didn't give up runs. He had a 1-5-4 ERA, but he was walking a ton of guys. I mean, do you think that there was a chance that Logan Gillespie Gillespie could have been taken by another team because that that's the reason you make this move a slim chance yeah. I, I think there was a better chance that somebody like Nick Vespi gets taken than a Logan Gillespie but clearly the Orioles thought the stuff was too good with Gillespie to risk him going to another team Ramsey also pointed to uh, when the Bay Sox were fighting for a playoff spot and they needed big innings, they turned to Gillespie, and he pitched three shutout innings with seven strikeouts. So they also liked what he did under high-pressure situations, which might have played into this a little bit. I, I don't know. I still think there's a, a better chance that somebody like Vespi gets picked, especially because Vespi's a lefty, right. which is probably more valuable in a bullpen. And I, I don't know. I think Gillespie probably had a lower chance of getting picked than... Vespi than somebody like Adam Hall, definitely like than somebody like Robert Newstrom. Right. What what I think makes this even more surprising is the fact that the as mentioned the Orioles added him in June. They right. signed him to a minor league deal after he was released by the Brewers. So every other team had a shot at him if they wanted to. And has he done anything since the Orioles signed him that has said, turned him into a superb prospect that other teams would be now clamoring to get in the Rule 5 draft. I don't know if he was good enough in that four-month, three-month sample size with the Orioles that would then all of a sudden, you know, vault him into a Rule 5 draft conversation. Maybe it's just a shiny new toy kind of thing where you had multiple years of Robert Newstrom, you've had multiple years of Adam Hall, and you know what you have with them, and maybe the Orioles think that what they did over the short period of time that they had with Logan Gillespie showed enough improvement for him that maybe they think they can continue to do that over the next few years and get him to a place where they weren't able to get a Robert Newstrom or Adam Hall over the multiple years that they had them. Yeah. Again, this is just kind of my own speculation on why they would make this move, but I don't know. And obviously Michael Elias in the front office is much more in tuned with what GMs want and the kind of interest league-wide that teams have in the guys that they have you know they they can talk to other teams and gms and find out if a guy would be taken in the rule five draft but it's you know when you add somebody to your 40-man roster at this point it's less about what you internally think about him and more what other teams think about him right so if you think he's going to be a very good player for you but nobody else in the league wants him you don't need to add him to the rule five draft you can just keep him in your system and know that he will pass through and stay with you. But you add him to the Rule 5 draft, a guy like Gillespie, because you think other teams are interested in him enough that he's going to be out of your, your system come the Rule 5 draft. Right. And the stuff must have just 
flashed enough to the point where the Orioles believed that another team would take him. And they didn't think that they could sneak him through the Rule 5 draft. So you mentioned Robert Newstrom. Uh, we'll talk about Adam Hall in a minute because he was not protected. Newstrom, to me, was the much more surprising omission because this is a guy that we thought was securely going to be added to this to this roster considering played between AA Bowie and AAA Norfolk last year, showed pretty good power, showed pretty good on-base percentage, and looked like he was very close to making his debut near the end of the season last year and just did not get protected. And I know that he's a fourth-round pick that was taken by the previous regime, by Dan Duquette and not by Mike Elias, but a fourth-round pick carries some pretty good cachet. He's not a top-30 prospect in the Orioles system. I get that, but he looks like a Major League-ready outfielder, Brendan. He's a 25-year-old Major League-ready corner outfielder who had a 790 OPS with 50 extra base hits last year. And Robert Newstrom, looking at him in a vacuum... Maybe you don't protect him because he doesn't have the highest ceiling in the world and he's already 25 years old. So maybe the potential just isn't there and in a vacuum, you don't think he is worth protecting. But in the context of what the Orioles have at the major league level, you can make a legitimate case that Robert Newstrom could be your fourth, fifth outfielder with Ryan McKenna. You could make a case that you could even have a platoon of Newstrom and McKenna in right field and trade or move Anthony Santander, and he is just going to contribute to your team in some way. He would be a solid bat in the lineup, especially when you look at the fact that the Orioles still have DJ Stewart on this roster. And I'm not trying to completely single out DJ Stewart, but DJ has gotten more than his fair shot at the major league level at this point. Why are you keeping DJ Stewart on the roster when you have a 25-year-old Robert Newstrom who could be much better immediately than DJ Stewart? DJ Stewart is two years older, has had significant more major league experience, like you said, as Newstrom doesn't have any. And I tend to agree with you, Brendan. I think that this was one of the more confusing moves because if you want to tell me, okay, we just didn't have enough room, I understand that. But you can create room by removing a DJ Stewart, by removing one of the pitchers in Brooks Krisky or Joey Crable. If the Orioles really wanted Robert Newstrom, they would have added him. To me, this this tells me something about what the Orioles view in Robert Newstrom. Because if the Orioles really, you know, they may think that we be able, may be able to sneak him through the Rule 5 draft. But if you really want a guy, there's no point in risking it. Right. And to me, this tells me that the Orioles just are not that high on Robert Newstrom internally to the point where they feel like he is a must-keep. Because if you really believe in his talent, you will do anything to keep him, and it doesn't matter. You know, you'll, you'll drop DJ Stewart. You won't worry about him sneaking through. You'll just add him. And they get they have much more invested in other outfield prospects that are further away from the big leagues. Kyle, New, uh, Kyle Stowers, excuse me, um, obviously is probably going to make his debut next year. Heston Kerstad is back in the baseball field, number two overall pick from just a, a year and a half ago. Colton Kowser just taken with the number five overall pick. So they have guys in-house that they feel very good about, in addition to having Cedric Mullins, all-star, starter and center, Austin Hayes looking like a burgeoning corner outfielder, and they already have San, Santander in right field, and McKenna. However... If you really feel good enough about his talent, you'll make room for him. Right. You you keep the players who are talented and you find room for them. That the Brandon Hyde and Michael Elias like to say the log jams will figure themselves out because of injuries, because of, you know, less production from certain guys. It will sort itself out. To me, the Orioles didn't value him enough to consider him part of this log jam conversation. They just don't value his talent enough. And maybe he will sneak through the draft. Maybe the Orioles will keep him, and that's fine. But to me, this says that the Orioles don't truly believe that he can be a major league outfielder within the next few years. And I understand the logjam argument. I understand that over the next few years, he's not going to start over Hayes or Mullins. And then in the future, he probably won't start over Kyle Stowers or Heston Kerstad or Colton Kowser. 
And maybe he won't even start right now over a guy like Yusniel Diaz. Maybe Diaz is still seen injuries and all as a higher potential than Robert Newstrom, and that's why you don't hold on to him. That that I would take issue with. But yeah. Yeah. But I think you would too. Yes, <laughs> yeah. I, I, I would as well. But the point remains, if you think you have a high, even if he has a low ceiling, which is probably the consensus on Robert Newstrom, where he's, he's not going to be a star. Even if you think he has that low ceiling, why are you not putting a 25-year-old high-floor corner outfielder on your roster at this point? Right. Robert Newstrom can help this team right now, even if he is your fourth or fifth outfield option. He can immediately help you. And, and like I said, I don't, I'm not privy to what other teams think of these guys and whether he has viewed highly around the league. However, if I were a major league team, I would use my second round rule five pick on a Robert Newstrom, maybe even my first round rule five pick on a Robert Newstrom because he's not a project. He's 25 years old. He got significant experience at AAA last year and he flashed significant pop. So if you're a team that is in need like the Marlins that is in need of corner outfield help or Cleveland, why not? Yeah, you take Robert Newstrom immediately. It's a, it's a $50,000 gamble on a guy who's 25 and showed a little bit of pop. And if it doesn't work out, you send him back. But I think he's I think he's going to get taken. Again, I, I could be very wrong and off base here, but I think he's going to get taken. Yeah, I think so as well. Because I think, realistically, he can get to the major league level during his 25-year-old season. And at worst, he's probably going to be a slightly below average corner outfielder. Like, he might have a 700 OPS and hit 20 home runs if you give him a full season, but that's good enough. And if you are getting Robert Newstrom in the Rule 5 draft, it is very low risk, I think. Yeah, it, low risk and low ceiling, but we both believe pretty high floor, Yeah, as we said, for Newstrom. Another guy who is, not, who is left unprotected, who is the opposite of that, probably a lower floor, but a higher ceiling, and three years younger than Robert Newstrom, Adam Hall, who we both predicted would get added, but we did say it was a toss-up. I'll add that in our benefit. We did say we thought it was probably going to be a 60-40, 70-30 bet that the Orioles were going to add Adam Hall because he can play the infield, he can play the outfield. He is a top 15 prospect in the Orioles system, but he's coming off of a down year, particularly at the plate. 22 years old, play at, played at high A Aberdeen, didn't make it to double A Bowie, played in just 81 games and had an OPS under 700, 672 in those 81 games. So the ceiling is still high for this athletic, speedy, infield, outfield, versatile player. However, the Orioles either think that he is going to sneak through because of his youth and inexperience and down 2021 season at the plate, or they're perfectly comfortable letting him go. There seems to be a notion that there is a 0% chance that Adam Hall gets selected in the Rule 5 draft. I think there's a pretty low percent chance that Adam Hall gets selected simply because he's definitely not major league ready. And if you tried to throw him into a major league situation, it's probably similar to Richie Martin where he is just clearly in over his head and you are pushing him too far. But even Richie Martin, sorry to cut you off there, no, no. was played his last minor league season in double A. And I believe he was 20. He was at least 24 when he was taken by the Orioles. Right. So I, I don't think there is a high percent chance that Adam Hall gets taken by another team in the rule five draft. And maybe the Orioles, well, obviously the Orioles have a better read around major league baseball in terms of what other general managers are thinking when they are looking at the rule five draft. And maybe Adam Hall just doesn't fit that bill as somebody that another team is going to take. However, on the small percent chance, even if it is small, that Adam Hall gets selected, you have just lost the number 15 prospect in the number one farm system in baseball that goes to another team and will probably be a top 10 or 12 prospect in their system immediately. Yeah. Because, again, this is the best system in baseball that is very top-heavy. I mean, 1 through 10, the Orioles are loaded in terms of prospects. So Adam Hall as the 15th ranked prospect on MLB Pipeline. Even if you don't like the MLB Pipeline rankings, he's ranked 16th on fan graphs. So across the board, people think that he is a top 15 or so prospect. 
he goes to another team and is probably immediately a top 10 prospect. And it's surprising that the Orioles are okay with that potentially happening. Yeah, and and I'll repeat some of the points I made on last week's podcast, which is he's probably not going to get taken by a team near the top of the standings that is in World Series contention. However, teams on the lower end of the competitive spectrum can take an Adam Hall and deal with his lumps and deal with his growing pains. If they can just swallow it for a year, then they can get a very good prospect. And I will say, similar to what you just said and and what I said on last week's podcast, even if you believe there's a 15% chance he gets taken, it's just not worth the risk. The Orioles, it it appears, are willing to roll the dice there. So they either clearly think there's a, a very low chance of taking him, but similar to Robert Newstrom, you know, it doesn't... Ultimately, if they think there's any chance of taking him, and they believe enough in his talent that they think that this guy's going to be a very good major leaguer, then they would have added him because it's just not worth the risk if they really believed in his talent. So to me, it's a similar case as Newstrom that they just don't believe enough in his talent that they are worried at all about losing him. Or And, and they think that they can get somebody better in the Rule 5 draft, that they can get somebody... Their of talent evaluation of, of these guys who are outside the organization is it tells them that there are better options out there than the guys like Robert Newstrom and Adam Hall. Yeah, and clearly I, this has to be a case of people outside the organization valuing Adam Hall more than he is valued internally. Right. Because I think if the Orioles themselves were looking at Adam Hall as the 15th or 16th best player in their system, he gets protected. So this just has to be a case of the external prospect rankings not jiving with the internal evaluations of the Orioles. Right. Because if he is, it's truly a 15th ranked prospect in the eyes of the Baltimore Orioles, he gets protected. And I know this, a lot of this may seem like small potatoes because the Roll 5 draft is one of the you know lesser hyped events of the offseason. It's still, for a lot of teams, a lot of fans don't even know it really happens when it happens. Oftentimes, players who are taken in the Roll 5 draft are returned or don't make an impact with their team. I get that. But for the Orioles to successfully complete this rebuild, they not only have to draft well and uh, make splashy trades that end up turning out well, they have to win on the margins. They have to win in roster construction in in these little moves. And they're betting on their own evaluations of these guys to work because little evaluations like that could turn out to you know, a few years down the line, fans look at, how did we get this guy? Oh, wow, it was a great trade with the Orioles. How did we get this guy? Oh, he was left open by the Rule 5 draft by the Orioles, and we took him. I saw one comparison to on in one of our YouTube comments to between Robert Newstrom and Mike Yastrzemski. And the Orioles have to hope that this is not another Mike Yastrzemski because you and I have both said, obviously, that that move when they traded Mike Yastrzemski to the Giants, none of us knew that he was going to be the quality outfielder that he turned out to be with them. But Mike Elias, still, it still goes on his record. He right. still has to know this. So, um, you know, the Orioles just have to hope that Yastrzemski, this isn't another Mike Yastrzemski situation. To, to finish that comparison, Yastrzemski was traded to the Giants in his age 27 season with Bowie and Norfolk. Obviously, a corner outfielder with some power. Um, he was sent for a minor leaguer who was no longer in the Orioles system. And at the time, it seemed like no biggie. Seemed like a not a big deal. Two minor leaguers getting traded for each other. And then he ended up being a, a pretty good outfielder for the Giants for a couple of years and, and might be for years to come. So at the time, you know, right now, this Robert Newstrom being left off the, the roster may look like small potatoes, but you just hope that it doesn't come back to bite you in a couple of years. Yeah, and Mike Yastrzemski is probably not going to win a National League MVP, but Mike Yastrzemski was an important piece of a very good Giants team and a Giants team that was winning on the margins. Yes, right. they had their superstars. They had Buster Posey, Brandon Crawford, Chris Bryant. But they also had a lot of other good, productive players that were just above average and filled out the lineup and made productive plays on a daily basis. And that's where the Orioles are going to have to win. Yes, they are going to be led by guys like Avi Rutschman and Colton Kowser, But they also need to win on the margins with 
Cedric Mullins is an area where they are winning on the margins right now because Cedric Mullins, not a top prospect who pans out, is now an important part of the lineup. Hopefully they're going to do the same thing with somebody like Austin Hayes. But you need the rest of kind of the fringe prospects, the just good players, not elite players, but you need those good players to fill out a championship team. That's what Mike Yastrzemski is for the Giants, and I think that's what Robert Newstrom had the potential to be for this Orioles team. He's not going to be a star, but he might be a quality player. Some comments. Thank you, by the way, if you're watching along and and commenting. Scott on Facebook mentioning the fact that the Orioles might be betting on the fact that Adam Hall or Robert Newstrom comes back to them, you know, at some point during the year. Somebody on YouTube saying that as well, bringing up the fact that um, I think it was Carlos saying that, you know, they are the Orioles might be banking on Adam Hall not sticking with the team that takes him for 162 games. To me, I think there's a better chance Newstrom stays with his team for the entire year and they end up losing him if he does get taken than Adam Hall. Because I think if Adam Hall gets taken by a team, there's a a pretty good chance that he will get sent back during the season because they may not be able to swallow his low production. If he stumbles out of the gate, look at, I mean, two years ago, the Orioles took Drew Jackson in the Rule 5 draft in the second round after they took Richie Martin. He made four plate appearances, had four at-bats with the Orioles in the first week of the season before they sent him back. That could be Adam Hall. He, he just might not. He, he might show up at spring training after he's taken in the Rule 5 draft with another club and look like he doesn't belong. He's small. He's of diminutive stature. <laughs> Maybe they think that there's not enough and they end up sending him back. So maybe the Orioles are banking on that as well. But again, that's still a risk. It is still a risk that either Newstrom or Adam Hall will stay with that team. And it's especially confusing. Again, we have mentioned this, and I think the last three podcasts, where there are still multiple guys on this 40-man roster where you and I are both kind of scratching our heads and waiting for a DFA. Yeah. Because we just don't see a spot where logically they fit on the roster. So I think you and I would agree where, yes, you can't protect everyone. Right. But if there's still two or three guys on the roster that you are more than likely going to DFA at some point, why not do it now and protect Adam Hall and Robert Newstrom? Yeah, Edward on on YouTube saying you can't keep everyone, and you're answering that question. It's not... It's not a question of, we, we know you can't keep everyone. It's, would you rather keep Robert Newstrom or DJ Stewart? Right. Would you rather keep Robert Newstrom or DJ Stewart? Would you rather keep Adam Hall or Joey Crable or Brooks Kriske? I would rather keep Newstrom and Adam Hall. Or a Rule 5 pick from two years ago, Richie Martin. Right. So, yeah, it's going to be interesting to see what happens with this Rule 5 draft, when it happens, because we're assuming, you know, who knows? It, the, the December 1st is when the CBA expires. Rule 5 draft is supposed to happen the second week of December. Could get pushed back if they enter a potential work stoppage. So we may not have our answer on this for months. We may yeah. be sitting out there with, you know, with Adam Hall just left exposed for months. And what I will say is the Orioles got to 39 players after the additions that they made. They can't add anybody else to protect them. But what they can do is drop guys. Uh, before the Rule 5 draft in order to clear room. So they can, if they believe that there are going to be two guys available in the Rule 5 draft that they want to take, they can get down to 38. And I think that they will because I think that they didn't expect Lucius Fox to be available on cutdown day or on roster edition day, I should say. And so they were like, well, we had to add Lucius Fox. The talent is there. And we still want to add our six guys. So we'll get to 39 for now. We still want to take two guys in the Rule 5 draft will deal with cutting the final player in a week before the Rule 5 draft. Yeah, and you mentioned Richie Martin. I think it could be Richie Martin because when you were looking at the Lucius Fox deal, you kind of said that it might make Jorge Mateo feel redundant. I think it makes Richie Martin even more so redundant if you are looking at the Orioles' middle infield. I don't think they keep... Richie Martin, Jorge Mateo, Jemai Jones, and Lucius Fox on the 40-man roster. They all play pretty similar roles in terms of the good athlete up the middle at second base and shortstop. I highly doubt they keep all four of them on the 40-man roster. I think Richie Martin could be the odd man out. Yeah, Um, and of course, the Orioles could decide to non-tender guys. December 1st is the deadline to tender contracts to arbitration-eligible players. And if you recall, Jorge Lopez, Paul Fry, Tanner Scott... 
are all arbitration eligible players. So potentially, um, they could non-tender those guys and open up a roster spot. Another guy who is arbitration eligible, and we saw some comments, they believe, from Nathan on Facebook about the report that surfaced this morning from Buster Olney that the Orioles have been dangling John Means in a trade. To me, I'm not overreacting to this. No. Um, I think that the Orioles do their due diligence on everybody on their roster, and I think they have to when you're you're coming off a season where you just had the worst record in baseball because nobody is, nobody is except for Adley Rutschman and maybe Grayson Rodriguez, nobody is untouchable on this roster. So I, I, I don't think the Orioles will trade him this, uh, this offseason because of how few starting candidates they have for 2022, but it is notable. Yeah, I, I think it's notable mostly because of the wording of it. I don't know how much to read into the wording of dangling. Because dangling <laughs> makes it seem like Mike Elias is making the calls, where I would imagine it's probably just a case of people are calling the Orioles about their better veteran players because they are not in a position to win right now. And I would assume that teams are probably asking the Orioles about John Means because of how good he was in the first half of last year. I would be surprised if it's Mike Elias making the calls. So the word dangle is is tripping me up a little bit. Merriam-Webster Dictionary defines dangle as to hang loosely and usually so as to be able to f- swing freely. That doesn't help me, Paul. Does that provide any kind of it doesn't it doesn't context. tell me who made the phone call. I what I, I, imagine, I still don't read too I think much it into is it. Physically, they're grabbing him right, and they're holding him over some kind of precipice. Sure, and John means is being swung back and forth like a pendulum. Right. And there are hungry teams below that are clamoring and reaching up, attempting to grab the shoe and pull down the left-hander. That's got to be it. <laughs> that has to be it. Now, I, I've, I'm not going to read too much into it either. I don't think the Orioles trade John Means at this point. But if you're Michael Elias, again, you probably just have to... If somebody is going to offer you the moon for John Means, you have to... Consider it. Here's the question. If they do trade John Means, who's your opening day starter? Bruce Zimmerman? Brooks Krisky. (laughs) (laughs) After all this. DJ Stewart. Dean Kramer. Who knows? Matt Harvey? Matt Harvey. Walter Harvey. If you look at it, Matt Harvey, otherwise known as the Dark Knight, Lucius Fox. Boo. Two Batman characters. Could, uh, could we see any? They are there sign any other? Nikola Jokic. <laughs> they get the Joker on the team. Oh, yeah. I was going to say, are there any other Batman-related? Is there a Two-Face in baseball somewhere? I don't know. I hope not. I hope not, too. But is there a Catwoman? You never know. <laughs> that would be surprising. All right. Should, we, maybe. <laughs> should we get to uh, our tease for next podcast? Yeah, let's do it. So essentially, this game that we're going to be playing next podcast is a create-a-trade game where each of us is going to create... Three trades between the Orioles and mystery teams. We're going to pick teams out of this jar that I have brought from home, and I have carefully curated all 29 teams other than the Orioles, written them on pieces of paper, and put them in this jar. I have folded one of the edges to make sure that I get Patrick Ewing. Yeah, you're going you're gonna to freeze one of these? Yeah. So essentially, each of us is going to pick three teams out of this jar, over the next week, we're going to carefully construct trades between, you know, one trade per team between the Orioles and this team and present it to the other person and on the podcast to see if they're deals that the Orioles would make, that the other team would make, that would make sense yes. in baseball. They have to be realistic trades. We're not going to trade Jorge Mateo to the Angels for Shohei. You never know. All right, Brandon. Well, maybe would, the Angels will take that. <laughs> would you do the honors and pick the first team? I would. I'm really hoping that one of us gets the White Sox or Marlins because that seems like two teams that would actually make trades. And we get team number one. This is an interesting one. Arizona Diamondbacks. Ooh, the teams with the one and two draft picks. Interesting. For next year. I don't think the Orioles would. I'm trying to think of anybody that would entice the Orioles on the Diamondbacks. Eduardo Escobar is already gone. Cattell Marte. Cattell Marte. Would they want to trade? Cattell Marte has been. Doesn't he usually play Dangled. Dangled, if you will. Well, Cattell Marte can play center. He can play second base. Okay. If the Orioles want a young piece that could be around for the future, Cattell Marte. Uh, I have picked the next team. 
The Oakland A's. Ooh, Matt Olson coming to Baltimore. A bunch of guys on that team Ooh. that might get traded. That's an interesting one, too, because the Matt A's Chapman. have been... Matt Olson. The Oakland A's have pretty much just started a fire sale yeah. to the public. I mean, they haven't they haven't traded that many guys yet. Frankie Montas. But they have talked about it. I've yeah. seen reports of just about everybody. All right, Oakland A's. There's a fire sale in Oakland. Just like... Arrested development. Yes. Brendan's hand is in the jar. He is removing oh, it. Oh, a team that the Orioles claim everybody from, the Tampa Bay Rays. Ooh, interesting. Definitely a, Ooh. a possibility. Could we see another Sean Armstrong? The Orioles will trade for every minor league pitcher in the Rays system. <laughs> that is the deal. All right, my second team. The team from down 95, the Washington Nationals. Juan Soto, welcome to Baltimore. Wow. That'll be interesting. Don't think any moves get made there, but boy, do I know both those rosters intimately well. (laughs) We cover those teams too much. All right. Oh, I didn't like that one. I'm picking a different one. Here we go. uh, Whoa. No, I didn't look at it. It didn't feel right. It didn't feel right. Sure. It wasn't the frozen one. I understand. I didn't even rig this. The New York Knicks. (laughs) The Chicago White Sox. There it is. Big time. Pretty easy. Woo. Pretty easy to make. Um, I'm happy with my three teams. All right. My final team coming in. Oh, I picked oh, two. You, well, that's not allowed. <laughs> no, it is not. The final team, Atlanta Braves. The defending World Series champions. They Can need the to Orioles possibly find a move with the Atlanta Braves? John Means? Bolster your, mate, your World Series roster. Welcome, Richie Martin. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, why not? Dansby Swanson? Nah. Old news. Old news, apparently. Wow. That that'll be interesting. I'm gonna it's gonna be interesting to scour over these rosters and try to find suitable trades with these teams. Because uh I'm not seeing any. Maybe the Braves need to dump some money to re-sign Freddie Freeman, get rid of a contract. Ronald Acuna. <laughs> Ronald Acuna, welcome to Baltimore. Come on down. <laughs> so we will have those uh, trades, creative trades on our next week's podcast. Hey, if you heard any of those six and you're intrigued by some of the players on those teams, let us know in the comments. Please give us, tell us what trade we should make. Give us some ideas uh, as we will be spending our Thanksgivings pouring over the uh, rosters of these other teams. Thanks so much. we got a lot of comments for everybody commenting along. We really appreciate it. Thanks to Bobby Blanco, our producer today. Of course, you can watch the podcast on YouTube and Facebook and listen to it on any of your favorite podcast platforms. At Brendan Morty is Brendan's Twitter handle. He just wrote a great piece on MassinSports.com about Catherine Rowe, mental skills coordinator, I believe, for the Baltimore Orioles. Yep, for the minor leagues. For the Orioles minor league system. Awesome piece if you have a chance to check it out on Orioles Buzz. I'm at Paul Mancano on Twitter. Keep locked on to Mass and Orioles on all your social platforms. Thanks so much, and we'll catch you next week.